It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. So a very good day, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It's the 4th of August, 2022. Stinking hot. Problems everywhere, including, of course, uh, China and Taiwan, the latest flashpoint. Goodness gracious me, will we ever settle down and get back to normality um our weather as i say very very hot uh, i'll get in the car we go a fictional um, hour in the car going in the direction of alicante down to playa san juan i should be able to say good morning and welcome to rob daniels rob a very good day welcome to you how are you yeah good morning vince good morning everybody um i'm fine thanks vince but it is extremely hot at the moment I've just checked the outside weather um, temperature and we're up to 33 degrees already. Um, I think we're due to go up to um, 34 or 35 as the day progresses, but we're already at 33 degrees. So it's sweltering hot. Yeah, it does make you laugh when you look back to the UK and you see them, you know, uh, the panics that that uh, they, they seem to adopt once they get to about uh, 25 or something like that, you know. <laughs> Yes, um, it does sort of um, pale into insignificance, doesn't really? The uh, but they did have a heat wave in the UK that went over forty, didn't they, a couple of weeks ago? Well, wasn't that for, and for we, about two nights, though, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was only a couple of uh, only a couple of days. But the um, the grass and the hedgerows, especially in um, urban areas, were just acting like tinder, and they had all sorts of fires, didn't they? That um, that broke out because of the heat. Now. I know they're not used to that kind of thing, but um, you're very rare. You hear about forest fires in Spain, unfortunately, all the time because they happen in the middle of nowhere, don't they? Yeah. But you very hear, rarely hear of um, of fires breaking out because of the uh, the heat in urban areas. So um, yes, it's it's, just, it's a strange um, year all round, isn't it, climate wise? And I think we've probably got at least another six weeks if this of this, if not more. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we've got uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, none the least, it, it, although it wasn't the first. Uh, well, I thought we would be maybe starting with the ladies, the England women, two. Uh, they beat the German ladies 2 1. And uh, Chloe Kelly's extra time goal sealed the Euro 2022 glory for the Lionesses. So, um, what did you think of the game? Uh, tell us what were the highlights for you and uh, things maybe that were the low points. What did you make of it? I enjoyed it, actually, Vince. I uh, thought it was a, a, a well-thought-out match. Um, both both teams um, obviously were, were going for it. The Germans had a bit of a setback um, as they were warming up because their best player... Um, Popper or something like Pop she's called, isn't she? Yeah. She has been played with injury problems for the last several years. And she had to go off as the team was actually uh, warming up before the match. Um, I think she'd pulled a muscle or something like that. So she was out for the actual match itself. But the Germans have plenty of other players that can step in. Um, I thought the first goal by Ella Toon was a really, really well taken, especially in front of 90,000 people live. Plus all of the expectation that was on her shoulders, she took a really, really cool, um, lobbed it over the goalkeeper, lobbed it over the German goalkeeper and the ball went in. Now that takes some nerve, doesn't it, to do that, Vince? It does indeed. Um, Yeah, obviously the Germans didn't give up and their equalising goal was a fantastic goal, actually. That would have gone down as um, as a top goal in any professional football match anywhere, I think. So anyway, we went into extra time at 1-1. And uh, Chloe Kelly got the uh, ball in the back of the net for England in the 110th minute. It's the first goal she's actually scored for England. Um, so, but she actually, it was the goal that won us the final. And um, I was really, really pleased. I was, uh, I was celebrating... Um, probably like everybody else who's of English heritage, was celebrating throughout the world. I mean, uh, I thought it was fantastic that um, it's the first time England has ever won any kind of trophy in my lifetime because the 1966 World Cup 
um, was before I was born. I was born at the end of 1966. So, um, yeah, for a lot of people, it was the first time England ever won anything. So, uh, good on them. Yeah. Uh, right. Two serious matters, because obviously we will look a bit more at the football as we develop the podcast. But um, I don't know about you, but I feel that we've been engineered to uh, a point where basically, you know... Um, whether you liked it or not, you were going to enjoy ladies' football. What do you think of that comment? Well, it has been promoted, hasn't it? Let's face it. Um, they decided they were going to put it on um, in England, and it was all of the matches were on uh, live TV. So people really didn't have that much choice, did they, but to get interested. But having said that, I think it is um, progress. If England had not won against Germany... I think it would have um, it would have been a case of uh, well 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 done girls but you didn't actually get anywhere so it would have been put back on the back burner again but the way I, I see it going is that it has um, given influence so many younger people at least um, young girls that they can actually go out and play football that I think um, it should spark a change actually they, they're now thinking about bringing. Um, compulsory or obligatory um, PE lessons, <clears throat> whereas girls have the opportunity to play football, which I think it's two-thirds of the uh, schools in the country still at the moment. And the girls have no option but to play football. The girls have to play hockey, which is a hard game. Let's face it, hockey is not is not um, for sissies. It's a hard game. On netball, but they still don't have the option of playing football. So I think that kind of thing will change. Um, and I think eventually we'll be able, hopefully we'll be able to uh, get that Three Lions song um, off our backs. I mean, David Badillo actually wrote the song and said this very similar thing about his own opinion. Is It was written for the 1996 World Cup, which we lost on penalties against Germany. It was Gary Southgate, wasn't it? I think in the 1996 uh, Euros it was. Um, but it's basically a defeatist song. And every competition that England have played in since, it's been repeated and we've got videos with Bobby Robson holding his head in his hands and all of the kind of penalty misses and and all of the defeats, basically, that we've had over the years. And now the Lionesses have actually broken that mould. They've actually won something. So they have brought it home, if you like, and hopefully now we'll be able to move on to a more positive era. Um, I also think the fans um, in general... The fans behaved in an exemplary fashion, um, rather unlike some of the uh, male um, fans when there's um, male football matches being held. I mean, the, the English have got quite a bad reputation, but some of the other countries are even worse, aren't they? And I, th- I think the crowd behaviour was um, very, very civilised. And yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Alessia Russo, who got that um, back healer in, in the uh, semi-final. Her boots are going to be displayed in the Tower of London, apparently. Um, she's She handed them over to a beefeater a couple of days ago. And it's probably only for a limited time, but they're actually going to be displayed in the Tower of London Rob, as one of the Rob, nation's treasures. <laughs> Rob, let's not get so... That's just utter rubbish. Let's get a little well, bit... A bit yeah. Let's get a bit real about this, because I think there are aspects to um, the victory. Obviously... The, the, the first reaction is, of course, we're pleased. Um, but there are fairly obvious aspects of what's going on to me that need to be looked at and may be considered. I'm not saying, um, yes, without any shadow of doubt, what I'm telling you is right. Um, but we are in the middle of some sort of major change. We're in the middle of uh, some way that we are being manipulated. Um, Yes, there's money to be made out of the ladies' game. Who are the main protagonists from making money always? I would think the United States of America. So my feelings are that there's a big influence from America in whatever's going on. Now, um, let's look at the practicality. Without the, um, maybe, the influence of Serena Weigerman, maybe mm-hmm. we wouldn't have done quite as well. 
Um, she is, of course. Well, which, which, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the Neville brothers was the uh, manager of the English women's team before, wasn't he? Yeah. And they were basically going nowhere. So I think this uh, Serena Wagman, she she's won it already. Um, she won it with um, as the manager of a home team, Holland. So I, th- I think she has been a massive influence um, on the team and also on the team's spirit and morale. But let's stay with that thought for a minute. Somebody appointed Gary Neville, uh, a man who has never really managed a football team um, with any great success, that's for sure, uh, to become the manager of the ladies. Whereas this lady, of course, I think I'm right in saying she's the only one that's actually beaten the Germans in a major final like this one uh, before. So, you know, um, you start thinking, hang on, there's a management issue here. You know, somebody has decided that Gary Neville was up to the job when obviously he wasn't. Um, So that was one thing. The other thing was the fact that it was hammered in a promotional sense. Whether we liked it or not, it was going to happen. The next thing that I want to look at is uh, you're now talking about maybe football coming into the curriculum, uh, being made compulsory, uh, Tower of London. It's a wonder they don't have an armada floating down the uh, Thames with people lining the embankments. I mean, you know, get real. Uh, This is is winning a major football tournament. Great. I don't know about you. uh, There were slight aspects of the male game that I saw creeping into that final. Did you see anything that made you think possibly there was something in what I just said? It was quite a rough game physically, if that's what you mean, Vince. That's, um, that's certainly part of it. But again, Yeah, but again, it was England against Germany in the final. Um, so, I mean, some, some of these women, um, especially the more, older, more experienced ones, um, still, they can still remember the times when uh, you got a handful of people going to watch matches, and basically the, the idea was to uh, kick the team into submission before they brought in the finesse, if you like, of a uh, fine ball play. And so they still have got some bruises, both teams. Yeah. Okay, let's not uh, let's let's not go down the media trap of building up this uh, England versus Germany because, quite honestly, the hype doesn't match the type of people that I've been meeting who are from Germany. I don't think they ever mention the, this. I'm getting a lot of backing, background banging coming from your microphone. So if you can be aware of that there, for there me, is, Rob. Yeah, there, there isn't any workmen or anything like that, Vince, um, so down my way today. So it's, so it's it, com- it, must be, it's, it must be in hyperspace or whatever they call it. No, it's movement off your, your microphone. It's probably, you know, you're, you're moving or something. Uh, but whichever way, um, let's just go back to a couple of aspects that I think, uh, personally, I, I'm not particularly in favour of. With, um, I mean, we did see one of the girls uh, mouth F off, which, of course... You do expect to see in the in the the the, the male game, um, which you didn't really expect to see that in in the women's. But it's it's coming in. It's a hard game, and it was a hard game. Um, what about the taking the shirt off and running round the field? What was your take on that? Um, that's what she did, isn't it? Chloe Kelly did that. Um more or less on the spur of the moment, although she has actually said she waited for a, um, a couple of seconds or a split second because that's what she wanted to do, but she didn't know if she should. Um, that's what she felt like doing. So eventually she uh, she did what she felt like doing, took her top off and ran around the pitch waving it about. Um, obviously, that was the photograph that got in most of the world's papers. Um, well, because it is quite an emblematic photograph, but she got a yellow card for it. Um, excuse, excuse me, Rob. And excuse me, Rob. Twenty years ago, I was having the same argument about the men doing exactly the same, taking the shirt off, twirling it round, jumping into the crowd. For goodness' sake, they've scored a goal. It's a, it's a something that they're supposed to do. 
if you take it to its logical extremity, um, does that mean that every time anybody scores a try, we get uh, the rugby league shirt comes off and twirled around and they run around the field? Does it mean that when somebody bowls the ball and uh, maybe uh, bowls out somebody, they rip off their shirt and their top and run around the field? I mean, where will this end? It's stupid. It does not make sense. And I don't really accept any justification for it. Quite honestly, if they gave you a red card instead of a yellow card, maybe that will stop it. Maybe that would stop it, Vince, actually. Yes, I know that it's something you feel quite strongly about. I do. Um, Yeah, I know. Um, It's something that I don't particularly feel strongly about. Um, I can sort of understand why they... uh, why they do it in the spur of the moment. When you uh, when we talk about um, cricket, though, I mean, r- rugby league and rugby union are, are, are very, very hard games, and I think there's a lot of respect between the teams, and it's, it's usually a group effort to score. Um, but in cricket, if a player gets uh, bowled out or, or run out or anything like that, then the bowler of the opposite team will be insulting his wife and his children. There's a lot of what go, um, is called slating goes on in cricket, which is insulting each other on the pitch. Well, and there's, no way that cricket, there's no way that cricket is a whiter-than-white game, if you like, in, in the sense that they wear white kits, and it is okay. um, a oh. prestigious game. There's a, a lot goes on on the pitch that, um, that doesn't really go on that much in football. If it does, it ends up with somebody like Zidane headbutting that Italian. Okay, let's go to uh, tennis then. So you've got the final at Wimbledon or anywhere else, any of the majors, and somebody hits the ball and scores an ace, an important ace. Are we waiting for them to take their shirt off or the top off or run round Wimbledon? Rob, it's ridiculous. Why people accept it in football is beyond me. Give them a red card. They'll stop it. Well, Vince, if, if, if they made it a red card offence, then that would make a, it. But see, it wouldn't stop some of them, um, but it would stop the majority of them um, because they realise that they're going to get sent off. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea at all, Vince, opening it to a red card, um, because obviously you, you've got the only person who feels as strongly about it. There must be a lot of people who feel the same way and probably get offended every time they see it. Well, I mean, another... Look, this is this is very, very personal, so I'll accept anybody dis- seeing it differently. But I think when you look at the way the girls are all tattooing themselves to make themselves look like the males uh, in their uh, counterpart, you don't need to look any further than the England 1966 uh, World Cup winners. And you'll hardly have seen a tattoo. This is not a pop concert. So everybody suddenly uh, are acting like, you know, they seem to think that you've got to be tattooed to be a good footballer. It doesn't make sense. There's no sense to it. And uh, quite honestly, I don't see, I don't think there's any class at all with it. Anyway, that's a personal view. I know you disagree. So we'll go from England's game on the pitch to another thing, which I'm not too sure I understand, why England were not allowed a bus parade. Um, you know, let's be honest about it. They did win the European Cup and or the Euros Championship, call it what you will, uh, but they have not been um, afforded the same that I think the men would have been afforded, which is a, a, a ticker tape welcome with the bus parade. What do you think of that? Yes, well, I don't know why that decision was made, Vince, actually, to be honest. Um, you would have thought that would have been a suitable way to um, celebrate the trophy. But um, I, I really don't know why they didn't. I don't know if you have any background information on it. I know they had a big celebration in London um, the following day, which the uh, players all went along for, with um, hundreds of thousands of members of the public who who've gone along to wish them well. But uh, you would think that would be um, a perfect example of where they should have an open-top bus ride um, around around the capital city. Um, Yeah, with ticker tape everywhere and basically uh, showing the cup off. I mean, they made Liverpool do it, didn't they, uh, in Liverpool after they'd they'd lost. Um, So I I don't know why that decision was made, Vince. Um, I also know that they, um, they were trying to get an extra bank holiday. Um, if England had won um, because it was played on a Sunday 
they were trying to get an extra bank holiday for the Monday, but the government wasn't having any of it and there wasn't a bank holiday. Although I think quite a lot of um, businesses were quite lenient on people who turned up slightly late for work that day and possibly not in the best conditions to work because it was a national celebration. I mean, we're here in Spain, so I sort of uh, celebrated on my own, if you like. I think we had a bit of a, a chat the same day. But um, people in England... There were massive parties going on throughout the whole country. Um, there must have been a fantastic atmosphere, I think, Vince. I agree. But, I mean, again, there has to be a logic applied. If you then say every time a team or individuals win something, we have a bank holiday, you could have the full year where nobody works because we're always celebrating somebody winning something. So, uh, again, there is a logic. And I think, quite honestly, uh, we've lost the plot with a lot of this. Uh, Serena Weigerman, uh, will she become a dame, do you think? Is she likely to be on the Queen's Honours list? Um, what do you think? Well, um, I think quite a few of the team are likely to be uh, given honours on the Queen's list. Um, as seems to happen these days with anybody who um, does well in sport for just one season, for example, it's not people's life achievements anymore, is it? Where members, members of the public have done public works, charity works for the last 50 years behind the scenes and then get um, an honour for a lifetime sort of a, a lifetime's dedication. Um, if you run down the list of uh, current sports stars who've got various different honours, it's a, an extremely long one. Whether or not they'll be able to give Sir, Serena, uh, Serena Weigman one, um, because she's not British, I'm not sure, but they do give awards away to people who aren't British. For example, Irish citizens have um, been given awards in the past. And um, it, I, I think... She's probably top of the list, or one of the top of the list to receive something, if she's able to. OK, let me play a jingle, then we move on. Stand by. It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy. And in this case, of course, with Rob Daniels, there's still a heck of a lot of background noise coming from you all. And uh, Rob, I'm not too sure what that is, but um, anyway, um, I'm just. Making I, I've got my, I've got my head completely still at the moment, Vince. Okay, uh, right. We've got uh, two late goals handed Liverpool their first trophy of the season, as they defeated Manchester City three-one in the FA Community Shield at the King Power Stadium. And um, I enjoyed the game. I could clearly see there was a bit of a difference when we played um, the, the ladies' game the following day. I think, you know, we've got to be realistic about it. There are two levels uh, without a shadow of doubt. Uh, one is the men's game, which is faster, fitter. Uh, the ladies did very well. I'm not knocking anything they've done, but it is a different level, isn't it? Well, it is. It's, um, I don't think there's any way, not in the near future at least, that we'll be seeing mixed teams play. Um, because it is the w women's game is played at a different pace, isn't it? Um, there's some very accurate passing and they do play very well. But the men's game is full on. When you, can, when you compare the two, the men's professional game and the women's uh, professional game, the, the, the men are, it's just, it is a lot more fast. It's faster, it's more physical. Um, you don't get more than one opportunity um, to put the ball in the back of the net, do you? In a, in a top level uh, men's professional game. So, um, yeah, I enjoy the um, Community Shield, actually. I don't um, think. Trent Alexander Arnold, he, he was being criticised. Um, by the commentators for spending too much time up front, which he often does, and we often criticise him for it. But he actually got the first goal in in 21 minutes. Um, Man City pulled back, but then Mo Salah got a penalty in the 84th, and then a new signing, Darwin Nunez, who is Uruguayan, he's 23 years old, he's from Uruguay. Um, he got the Liverpool winner in 90 plus four. And uh, I think it was the, it's the first time he's been brought to my eye, at least. And um, he's very, very promising. I think they picked a winner there. 
Okay, Rob, but uh, what about um, Man City's signing, Haaland? We've seen Nunes, uh, he was very influential in the game. Uh, What did you think about Haaland? Well, it wasn't his best um, performance for City yet, was it? I mean, he's still got to start um, the Premier League, so we'll just have to wait and see how he is on that. But in previous matches, I mean... He has shown how good he is, but he, he didn't really seem to be present in that match. No. Um, all the commentators and the pundits and people were saying that it always takes Man City a while to get off the mark in a new season, which I think it does, actually. Um, so I think we'll see Man City actually getting better throughout the season. But the season hasn't even kicked off yet, has it? Because we've just had the Community Shield um, and Haaland didn't have a particularly good game. Darwin Nunez did have a good game. Um, Klopp's favourite poaching ground, it seems, is Benfica, which is where Nunez came from. Um, and like I say, we were just at the start of the new season, so uh, I think Alan will, will give us some extremely entertaining football. Yeah. Um, no, no. look, uh, one game doesn't really put us completely in the picture because Liverpool um, for example have had a couple of defeats which you know we wait and see how uh, certain players will play and how how other players need to maybe up the game plus of course uh, we have had a couple of injuries so uh, what was the overall way that you saw the um, the the Charity Shield game. Uh, I mean, obviously we know the result, but what was your overall impression of both teams? Well, um, I think that it was um, a good spectacle. Actually, the the, the the two best teams from last season, at least, um, in the Premier League, they will both be up there somewhere near the top this season, won't they? I would imagine. Um, I think it was a good start to the season, to be honest. Um, both teams took it quite seriously um, it will have been televised worldwide so uh, it will have got a worldwide audience interested in the fact that Premier League started again this weekend and um, yeah all in all I, I enjoyed the match yeah okay now the um, the taking of the knee was something we were both alerted to uh, there's a bit of a seed change you know it looks like possibly the beginning to see a little bit of sense. Uh, the most sensible thing would have been to finish it all together and accept that, you know, that phase has been completed in the monopoly of the way that we're being manoeuvred. Um, but uh, the FA, instead of um, finishing it completely, are going to bring it in for special occasions, as if we don't realise that uh, the whole thing has been orchestrated. Mind you, um, seeing it one way, perhaps you'll see it another. What do you think? Well, apparently this was uh, th- this news was publicised uh, yesterday, wasn't it? Vince? So it is, if you like, hot off the press. Um, but as far as I know, the FA haven't really become that much involved. They left it up to the players, and as they did the previous season. They left it up to the players to have a democratic vote amongst themselves. And this season, the majority of players have voted against taking the knee as a routine um, before every single match. Not because they don't agree with the message, um, which is basically kick it out, um, which is kick racism out of football. There's no room for racism and all that kind of um, thing. But because it was becoming meaningless, it was just becoming part of the routine before uh, a match kicked off, wasn't it? It started to have no value um, whatsoever. And certain players, in fact, certain teams in Brentford, had um, independently decided that they weren't going to do it. Um, Not because they are racist by any stretch of the imagination, um, but just because they actually personally thought that it, the message was becoming so watered down and diluted that it was pointless. So um, they're only going to take the knee now in, I think it's the uh, FA Cup final and the Caribou Cup final. And um, for some reason, also the Boxing Day matches. Um, but um, yeah, that we're not going to see it at the beginning of every single match, which I think is the right decision. I mean, they'll be doing it now for two or three seasons. And indeed, people, as I was watching Match of the Day, for instance, Vince, as a lot of people will have been. Well, we've had... um... The match and you think, think, just get get up and get on with the football, will you? 
Well, we've had um, the we've had the racism bit. We've had the uh, sex uh, sexism bit with the ladies' game. Now, um, the transgender lot. Uh, I'm afraid they won't be getting their own way because, quite frankly, when rugby league and rugby union have both said they won't be um, going into the ladies' game, um, maybe people are now beginning to get a little bit of sense because. Without a shadow of doubt, um, you can see quite clearly that certain people have used football for their own political ends. The same as they use everything for their own political ends. And um, we've discovered that there's a flat earth football club. Rob, I sent you the details. What did you make of it? Right, well, Vince, this um, it doesn't exist anymore, doesn't the Flat Earth Football Club? But um, it was based around a team called Mosley's uh, Ballon Pied, which is a lower league division team from the Madrid area. Um, if you think, if I, I think of a random uh, London team, for example, that everybody's heard of but aren't doing particularly well, let's say uh, Charlton Athletic, for example. Um, then they they were taken over um, a couple of seasons ago by a guy called um, Javi Pomes. Now, Javi Pomes used to be a professional footballer. He um, he played in the lower leagues. He's from Madrid originally himself. He's thirty five years old now. He played in the lower leagues as a defender, which might have something to do with uh, why he thinks the way he does. But um, he played one match in the league of Sporting Gijón. It was the final match of the uh, 2008 season against um, Ercles of Alicante. It was the final match of the season. It was a goalless draw. And he got, he came on to this Javi Pomes as um, a substitute in the second half. It was the only time he actually appeared in the league, but at least he actually played there. But he has always had some unusual views, should we say. Um, he didn't have a bank account when he was a footballer. How he used to get his wages... I don't really know, possibly in a brown envelope, but I really don't know. But he refused to have a bank account. And um, he handed in the keys to his company car, which Sporting uh, had given to each of their players by a sponsor. And he didn't want his, he handed the keys in. Um, he retired at the end of the August t- um, 2011 season. And he stated, what I've seen within makes clear football Professional football is only money and corruption. It's capitalism and capitalism is death. I don't want to be part of a system based on people earning money at the expense of the deaths of others in South America, Africa and Asia. To put it simply, my conscience will not let me continue this. And then he disappeared for a couple of years. When he came back, he somehow managed to become a director of this um, football team, uh, Mosterles, and he changed their name, or he had their name changed, to um, Flat Earth FC, which um, was to promote the views of the Flat Earth Society. And apparently all of these players were behind him. Um, I've seen videos, as of you, Vince, of the players sitting on the bus, sort of uh, chanting and singing as footballers do when they're on the bus to an away match. I don't think many of them were really Flat Earth Society believers. Whether or not he was himself, or is himself, Nobody's really sure because he made a lot of money. He put they put this team um, on the map, if you like. Um, there were very n- nobody outside of Madrid actually heard of them before, but they became well known um, throughout the world, really, because they used to sell merchandise and their kits and things like that th- throughout the whole world. So it was a really, really good uh, marketing exercise. They changed the name back to uh, Fuenlabrada Promesas. Um, in could, could you 20- could you spell that for our listeners, please? Friendly Brada, yeah, it's um, F U E N L A B R A D A, and then Promesas is P R O M E S A S. If anybody's interested in finding them out about this, put in Flat Earth Football Club, and um, it tells you the story there. But um, this guy, I had actually heard of him vaguely before because he is like a minor celebrity in Spain. He's not taken very seriously. Um, a lot of people think he's a fraud. Um, but he is very good at marketing. He, he appeared on that um, 
Armigeros program. You know the program the uh, in the evening, which is like a variety show where they have two um, two anteaters in in as part of the panel, and they're always making silly comments and things. He was interviewed on that a couple of times about his um, about his views, and he can tell a good story. You can make it sound very convincing, um, but at the end of the day, it's whether or not you believe this guy. Um, I don't believe for a minute that he thinks the earth is flat, but um, he managed to make a lot of money for this football club by selling merchandise and getting the name on the map. Um, another one is uh, Freddie Flintoff, isn't it, who uh, jumped on the bandwagon about this. And now Freddie Flintoff, for me, is a cricketer, if people um, don't know, because uh, his name is very well known, but in the world of cricket, and he's like one of these um, lads at school who used to wind the teeth. And I think he'll have said to his friends, I bet you a tenner that uh, I can fill the press into this. And he came out and he made a, a press conference a few years back now saying that he thought he didn't believe the earth was flat, but he didn't believe it was round either. He believed it was turnip shaped. Now, <laughs> that as soon as he said that, as soon as he said, I think it's turnip shaped, you think now that's Freddie Flintoff taking the mickey. Okay, but look, some, uh, let, let me say... Seriously. Let me give you the reason why I uh, basically wanted to embrace what this is all about. Uh, I've told you for a long time that my feeling is we all are being manipulated and so, you know, I've told people, read Agenda 2030, go and look at the evidence, go and understand why I'm trying to get people to understand that we are being manipulated. We were manipulated into watching the women's Euros for the big American money guys who wanted us to spend a lot of money. The TV rights went to, uh, I think it was the um, ITV, wasn't it, that, uh, that showed it. So my point is that if people don't think we are manipulated, look at this particular football club. They actually managed to go round selling merchandise, playing football as if they were a football club, managed to get their marketing so that people could almost believe that they believed in it. And yet, as both Rob and myself are trying to show you, um, you know, uh, most people have a fair idea that if you go up into a plane and look down to Earth, you can see the curvature of the Earth. You know, um, yes, I understand that uh, it's a bit difficult to understand the gravity and why water doesn't all just drop off into space. Um, yeah, I can understand somebody maybe having some sort of crazed theory about such things. But uh, I think we've gone way past that now. My point is, look at the way everybody could be manipulated and can be manipulated and that's where I wanted to uh, bring in this particular um, Flat Earth football club. Uh, this was one particular guy and his vision. We're now looking at the world and the vision of a number of people who want to manipulate us. Um, yes, people tell me that it's all about theories and conspiracies. This is a very strange world we're living in. Rob... Um, you, can you understand why I wanted to introduce that particular topic and advise our listeners that if they want to go and Google, as everybody seems able to be able to do, go and Google Flat Earth Football Club and see where their success came. Right. Um, Rob, any comments? No, Vince. Um, I say exactly where you're coming from. And... Um... As you say, anybody, any listener who's interested in finding out more about this, you Google Flat Earth Football Club. Apart from the um, the Wikipedia kind of story of the actual club itself, if you go into videos, they have made quite a lot of uh, YouTube videos, documentaries that were independently made actually as well um, about this football club when it was in existence, and the. People can make up their own minds whether or not this guy was being serious or whether or not it was all a bit tongue-in-cheek and um, they were just cashing it in for the marketing sales of the shirts and merchandise worldwide. 
I, I mean, in the um, English league, there is a good example of um, a team which possibly has some unusual views, the Forest Green Rovers FC. Um, but they are a carbon neutral football team. Um, and they are now playing in, I think they're playing in League One, aren't they? They, they actually got into the Football League um, and they have a carbon neutral footprint. They do everything in an ecological manner. And that is the idea of um, a guy called, what's his name? Dale okay. Vince, he's called. And he's actually a businessman, but he's a businessman in the uh, wind turbine industry and things like that. So he basically believes in what he's doing. He's got a vested... It's, 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 no, it's, it's not a freakish idea. It's not one of these... No, look, look, you're absolutely right. Um, he's got a vested interest. You only need to look at the map of the world to see that there's a tiny little island or group of islands, the British Isles, you need to look uh, very carefully and decide for yourselves whether or not uh, policies on the hoof being made by the British are going to affect the world's greater um, uh, policies of, um, you know, global warming and things like this. You know, my own common sense tells me, look at the size of Britain, look at the influence of what comes off that part of the planet, look at the likes of what's going off in the Iceland um, uh, uh, volcano, for example, at the moment, look at the um, pollution being put up by all these countries that are at war, and then tell me that uh, what happens to the cost of petrol, etc., in England and electric cars is as important as they're making it. Sorry, I, I don't buy into it. Right. Uh, Rob, are you receiving a call now? Or uh, Yes, I was actually, Vince. I've got the sound turned down, but it made a vibrating noise. But uh, yeah. it's something that I'm talking about. So uh, let's continue. Okay. Um, Peter Schmeichel, uh, he is going to play football next year in France. Big loss for Leicester City in my book. What do you think? Well, it's Casper Schmeichel, isn't it? The, um, Beg your pardon? The son yeah. Who, yeah. Who has been the goalkeeper for many, many seasons now of Leicester City. And he was part of the um, team that uh, won, the, uh, won the Premier League. He's won all sorts of uh, trophies for them. But now he's in his mid-30s and he's been offered a contract with Nice, which is in the French Riviera. Um, I think he's it, he's been given an excellent opportunity while he's still at the top of his game to basically go and sit in a in a villa in the sun with his own swimming pool with a beautiful view of the Mediterranean Sea um, and still play his trade if you like. So uh, I can't blame him at all for going, but he's going to leave a big hole in the Leicester uh, squad, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Uh, looking at some other headlines, Chelsea is on the verge of a deal for Brighton's Kukureya, who looks a good player. I do like to watch him playing, actually. Um, you know, short of what was happening in Abramovich's day. Uh, we're getting back to exactly the same thing. I mean, you know, um, we've got Manchester United with their big checkbooks banging out. Chelsea buying everybody. You know, it must be awful if you're just a normal team trying to maybe play well and do do well in the Premier League. For example, uh, I look at West Ham. Uh, yeah, they're spending as well. I look at uh, other teams. They're all spending. But uh, Chelsea... You know they've just brought in a different checkbook. I mean, how they how they can actually really justify what they did to Abramovich? I'm not a big Abramovich fan, but I don't see how on earth really they've proved that um, you know what he was doing was absolutely linked to Putin. I really can't understand that one. You know, again, American money comes in. Uh, yes, the Americans are trying to take over the Premier League. If you can't see it, I can. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> yeah, the Americans are trying to take over the Premier League, aren't they? Um, Abramovich, I'm not sure how much Chelsea actually had to do <clears throat> with um, Abramovich's depart departure, I think. He made the decision himself as soon as it um, became public knowledge about his possible involvement with Putin. 
But I think it was more on a governmental level. They were um, basically seizing um, Russian citizens' assets and things, weren't they? However, the upshot of this is, as far as Chelsea football is concerned, is that now they've got something called the Todd Bowley Clear Lake Consortium have taken over at Chelsea Football Club. And as you say, it's just a different checkbook, isn't it? And it's in, it's in the hands of another United States conglomerate. So, uh, unfortunately, that does seem to be the way that um, English football is going. It's either going to be in Arab hands or in American hands, isn't it? Yeah. Um, OK, it really is... Um, I won't say depressing, but, I mean, you can really... You can see how awful it must be for the rest of the league who haven't got such big money to spend as your Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal. And and then you're expected to compete. Uh, I wish they would bring in a checkbook uh, limit so that people have got the same as in the Fantasy Football Club. You can spend X amount of money and um, basically, you know, let's get everybody with a bit of an even chance of winning what the Premier League has to offer. That's the way I feel. Well, that would that would seem fair, wouldn't it, Vince? Um, but they, I think it was in the early 1960s, I think it was, wasn't it? You, you can probably remember better than I can. Um, because I've only sort of read about it in um, in the past tense, if you like. But players such as Jimmy Hill, who was the um, a pundit who was very very well known and very respected um, in his day, that he was the um, head of the um, professional, professional footballers. Football. Yeah, and they managed. They were on a, a wage limit, and. Jimmy Hill and his um, group of people around him at the time managed to get the uh, wage cap cut. And football's, wa- football's wages didn't go out of hand immediately. But ever since the Premier League started in the uh, early 1990s, that is when the silly money, really silly money, started to come in, isn't it? Yeah. And um, how they could stop that, it's like the uh, floodgates are open, aren't they, Vince? It's... it's how do you, you can't put the uh, worms back in the can, can you? They, no. But I, I agree with you. I think, I, think, I think somebody somewhere in a position of power should give this a serious uh, amount of thought and see if there is something they can do to level the game up to make it fairer between the, uh, the haves and the have-nots, for example. Yeah. Um, Newcastle United, for example, uh, the, the biggest cash-rich team in the world at the moment, because they were taken over by this uh, Arab conglomerate last season. And so, therefore, they think they can spend their way out of trouble, which they probably are doing. Um, but, again, it's, it is down to who's got the most money, isn't it? OK, now, have you got much for us with La Liga? Well, La Liga is kicking off next week, actually, Vince. The, um, the Premier League and the Bundesliga kick off this week. Um, this weekend, which we'll talk about uh, as we go to our Premier League predictions. La Liga is starting next weekend, um, and there is a full lineup of matches. Um, Barcelona are playing. I don't know. Barcelona. Now, hang on, Rob. Rob, this yeah. is this is next week. Now, then, this is not this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, this week. Um, the Liga kicks off one week after the Premier League this season um, for some reason and we don't actually have any matches until next weekend. Barcelona against Rayo Vallecano and Almeria, um, recently promoted, are playing at home against Real Madrid. But we don't actually um, start the Liga officially until next weekend. OK. Meanwhile, um, this week... I'm going to hurry you along because we've only got 12 minutes and we've got the predictions... So that's where I'm going to go straight away, if that's okay with you. Yeah, fine. Okay, well, we start off with Brentford and... Uh, no, no, we don't. We start with the uh, the Friday night game, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. Um, difficult predictions at the moment because we've not really got much to go on. So just give me an indication. What, who do you think will win that and roughly a score? Right, well, it's the first match of the season, Vince, isn't it? We don't really have all that much to uh, to go on intelligence-wise. I think that um, 
Crystal Palace could actually do it playing at home. But um, could, could I just mention, actually, before we get into the predictions, I did the calculations for our predictions from last season. Yeah. Um, and it turned out at the end of the season, I gave three points for an exact result <clears throat> and one point for the correct result, but with the incorrect score. It ended up Vince on 164 points and Rob on 169 points. Um, my best week, I got 10 points in game week 26. Your best score, you got 11 points in game week 35. Our both joint lowest score was one each in game week 30, but there were quite a lot of postponements and cup matches, especially in the middle part of the season. They were still, the early mid part of the season, they were still having um, games postponed because of COVID and things like that, weren't they? But oh. that's how we ended up last season, so let's see uh, how we do this season. Okay, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. Right now, um, I can see that it's the first match, it's tomorrow, nine o'clock. Um, I can see Palace getting a draw out of that. Okay, I've just put down 2 2. Your prediction? Um, I was going to go for 1 1, actually, Vince. Fulham at home to Liverpool, newly promoted Flame. Uh, Carvalho going back to his um, stomping ground. So, what do you think on that one? Well, Fulham, <coughs> recently promoted, playing at home against Liverpool. I really can't see Fulham doing anything in this match, to be honest. I think it'll be 0-2 to Liverpool. I've written 0-2 down myself. Um, Fulham looked very, very good last year, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in that one. Um, Leeds play Wolves. Yes, now this is it's a tough one, actually, for both teams because um, they are both decent teams, let's face it. Um, and they play each other for the first match of the season. I think that Leeds, although they have lost um, Rodrigo and Calvin Phillips, and they, they've let a few go on uh, loan, actually. They've let a couple of young lads go on loan to the Millwall of all places. But I think Leeds, playing at home, first match of the season, they'll have a full, full crowd behind them. I think Leeds will do this 3-1. OK, I think it'll be Leeds 1, Wolves 2. Mm-hmm. Everton versus Chelsea. Everton versus Chelsea. Chel Everton had a really bad season last season, didn't they? They only managed to stay up in the last couple of matches. I don't think very much has changed in their changing room. I know they've got rid of uh, Lacazette and a few others, but I think I think he was probably one of the best players. But um, I think Chelsea will do this. I think Chelsea will do this. One, one three. OK, I've put down Chelsea will win 4-0. So, uh, Tottenham play Southampton. Right, Spurs against Southampton. It's got to be Spurs, I would say, Vince. Um, Southampton, again, they, they've had quite a few changes in this squad. But Spurs, I can't see Spurs losing this. I've got this down as a 3-1 to Spurs. OK, I've put it down as a 2-1 to Spurs. Newcastle, Nottingham Forest. Right, now, recently promoted Forest. They're in with the big boys now, aren't they? And Newcastle had a fantastic end to the uh, second half of the season last year. They've reinforced their squad, as we just mentioned. It's playing at home, which isn't James's back. I think it'll be 2-0 to uh, Newcastle. OK, I put it 3-1, three three sorry. Um, Bournemouth play Aston Villa. Right, a difficult one, this, because, um, again, it's similar to the Leeds Wolves, isn't it? Both fairly decent teams. Um, I'll put this down as a draw, actually. I'll put this down as a one-all event. Your guess is as good as mine, but I think it'll be Bournemouth 1, Aston Villa 3. Um, Leicester, Brentford. Leicester, of course, without their top goalkeeper now. Yes, they are. Um, now, that will make a difference. I'm not sure who's actually going to be playing in goal. Um, I'll have to check out the 
Leicester goalkeeper's um, situation for next next week. But um, Brentford are now going for their second season, which is always a difficult one, isn't it? Second season. I think Leicester have got a, a, a tight team. Um, I think Leicester will do this 2-1. OK, I say 2-2 two, two, and uh, we'll be interested to see whether that one pans out, as you just said. Um, Manchester United play Brighton. Right, now, um, Manchester United, they're, they're having all sorts of uh, backroom problems at the moment. Actually, um, most of them involving Cristiano Ronaldo in some way or another. However... I think they'll, they they have got a decent squad. I think Man United will do this 3-1. My prediction, Manchester United 3, Brighton 1. So I've written, written these down, by the way, before you speak. So just to let you know, uh, it's interesting to see that we're on the same page. The last fixture then mm-hmm. will be West Aim play Manchester City. Now this, West Ham playing at home against City. I can't see West Ham doing it, to be honest. Um, With all the will in the world, I think this is going to be a 0-3 to Man City. Okay, interesting. I think it's 2-3. So uh, we're on the same page, but maybe different scores. Um, yeah, OK, so uh, we've covered quite a lot of territory today. Uh, just looking back to the Manchester United situation, well, of course, they've got Ericsson. Ericsson was a big influence in Brentford's team, so maybe that might be a crucial part of Manchester United's revival. But, of course, we're still getting all sorts of stories coming out about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo that um, will need to be resolved sooner or later. The manager says he wants him in the squad. Uh, the player doesn't want to be in a team that can't play Champions League football, which you can understand when you're almost, um, I think, 37-ish now, isn't he, uh, Ronaldo? Yes, he's 36, uh, so he must be going on 37. I'm not sure when his birthday is. But yes, he's um, a bit problematic, I think, at uh, Man United at the moment. Last last week, if you remember, Vince, we, we got into a conversation about possible transfers. And we mentioned this Frankie de Jong, the uh, Dutch player, being put on loan from Man United to uh, either Spurs or possibly um, Chelsea throughout for this season. Now, we were jumping the gun because Frankie de Jong is still playing for Barcelona. He hasn't even been signed for Man United yet. So these transfer rumours... A player who isn't playing for Man United all of a sudden gets linked with Man United and then they talk about putting him out on loan to a different club in the Premier League so Cristiano can keep his place. Um, that is when I, re- when I realised that, that he, has, he doesn't even play for Man United. Still. He's playing for Barcelona and he gets match time. Well, thought, how ridiculous. The silly season is in the, in the, in the transfer window. Um, they'll talk about anything. Well, <laughs> they, they caught us out on that one. Well, well, uh, well... <laughs> Exactly. I have not really been talking about Manchester United um, because basically there's that much speculation that until the games start and until everybody's signed, sealed and delivered, uh, it doesn't make any sense. In fact, I'm not really talking about any team. We're just going through the motions of, um, I don't know, just an interesting prediction because we can only base it by what we saw last year. I mean, obviously, the checkbooks have been out, but, I mean, the players then have got to come in and they've got to gel with the new team. It doesn't really matter um, how wonderful the player has been with previous teams if maybe they don't like the cut of his jib and they don't pass the ball to him or, you know, they don't play his style of football, then, obviously, uh, the whole situation is up in the air again, isn't it? It certainly is, Vince, and I think Man United is a perfect example of that. Um, because, as we know, ro- rightly or wrongly, but Cristiano Ronaldo basically rules the roost there, doesn't he? Um, and I think he's going to... He's already had some uh, runnings with the manager, this Henk. Um, but I think he's in for quite a turbulent season. I think Man United is in for quite a turbulent season as well, Vince. OK, well, that's about it. Um... We'll wrap it up for this week and obviously we'll be talking results and actual fixtures 
and reality. I mean, it's being a bit like Love Island at the moment. So um, I look forward to actually a bit of reality. I don't know about you. I'll be looking forward to actually seeing some football, well, some Premier League football played again. Definitely, Vince. Right. OK, Rob, we'll leave it there. Look forward to next week. My pleasure as always. Thanks, Rob. 